Welcome to Current Affairs Taiwan. Mike, what do we got up in the show today? Well, we've got a lot of discussion of a Han Goyer's recall vote. We've got some comments on Tsai Ing-wen's second inauguration. We look ahead to 2022 and 2024 elections. We talk about TSMC. And we look at the KMT and its uh, attempt to be an opposition party. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great show. Punchy. Punchy show. <laughs> or in my case, a punchy show. <laughs> All right. Hello, folks. Hello again, and welcome back to another edition of Current Affairs Taiwan. I'm Michael Turton, and I'm here with Donovan Smith. Hi, everyone. Hey, it's another busy news week with the inauguration and other good things happening. Mm -hmm. But first, let's talk about our favorite topic, Han Goyu's recall vote in Kaohsiung. Oh, I thought our favorite, I thought our favorite topic was Farmers Associations. Well, I'm I'm wrestling. It's a tie right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case people didn't know that we were complete nerds on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on with Han Goyer recall vote? Kaohsiung Mayor Han Goyer is facing a recall vote on June 6th. Mm -hmm. What are the prospects? Well, uh, okay. So if you look at Frozen Garlic, and, you know, that's Nathan Batto's blog. I mean, he, he laid it out that basically... His reading of the polls was that 30-some-odd percent of the public was going to come out and vote yes. Now, that was his analysis four weeks out. But I saw a poll today, and I just crunched the numbers. Now, admittedly, it was a uh, Taiwan state-building party poll, so who knows how reliable it is. But if you actually look at the—it was 30-some-odd, 34 percent of the, of the people in the poll said they would definitely go out to vote. Uh, 21%, I think, said they might go out to vote, and yeah. about 10% didn't give a clear answer one way or the other. Now, 54% of the people said they are definitely going to vote to recall them. Then it was something like a little over 20% said they would definitely vote against it, and then there was uh, like 19% didn't give a clear answer. Now, if you only look at the definitely will vote and take the 54% who will who said they will vote to recall him that comes out to about 18.7 or 18.8%. Yeah, but I think that's I don't think that's right. Well, uh, that's the poll. I mean, you know, you take 54% of 30 But why would you take 54% of 34.5? Because Han has told his Han has told his people to stay home. Mm -hmm. Therefore the people coming out are going to be skewed green. Mm -hmm. So the number is higher, I think, than you think. Well, I think it is higher than that because, you know, some of those people who said they might vote will vote. Sure. And some of the people who didn't give a clear answer one way or the other on either their voting intentions or whether they were going to vote will probably show up. Yeah. So I, it, it smells to me from that poll we're looking at 20-some-odd percent. It's going to be close. So it needs to be 25% of the, of the voting public has to vote yes. Now, that's just one poll. So the stuff that, uh, that Bado was looking at earlier you know, made it look like it was pretty much a lock. So I don't really know. Um, but, I mean, you saw the Taipei Times reports. Right. And Han has been fighting. He just lost another case trying to get the uh, courts mm -hmm. to shut it down. 
So that says maybe the KMT internals are are saying Han is doomed unless there's no vote. Yeah. But everything depends on the wild card of how many people actually show up, what the weather is, and if there's... Well, we both saw that uh, article in the Taipei Times about that alleged that Han was conspiring to use gangster tactics to slow down the vote and make lines longer and so on. Mm-hmm. That was just someone's report. Yeah, but they also have here, um, and this was in that same report, I, I can read from it here. Prosecutors on Wednesday initiated an investigation of Kaohsiung Civil Affairs Bureau Director General Cao Huanrong for allegedly telling supporters of Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu to interfere with the recall vote against Han. So he made some comments online. Wow. Um, and includes things like, but we must monitor polling stations to put pressure on people voting to recall Han, things like that. And then the Taipei Times reported on other reports, which, as you know, were allegations. And here's here's what it, what it said, that members of Han's camp last week attended a banquet in Taipei for talks with China Unification Promotion Party Chairman Zhang Anle and members of the Bamboo Union Crime Syndicate. Plans were made at the banquet for gang members and hand supporters to obstruct the recall vote by lining up at poll stations where they would try to delay and disrupt the process, sources said. Some of the tactics include filming the proceedings outside of the polling stations to intimidate voters, as well as having older people and gang members in line move slowly and cause delays such as by not presenting their identification with the head of the line to prolong the process with the aim of making people give up on voting on what is expected to be a hot day, the sources said. Now, that's reports and allegations. We don't, we don't know for sure. Right. If they do that, I, you know, we talked about this. If they do that, people are just going to be infuriated. It's not mm-hmm. the 1990s anymore. No. And now my initial take, because I was basing it on, on Bado's number, where he had them at 30 some odd percent were planning to vote yes they would have to scare off over a third of the voters and i didn't think that was very likely but that poll i saw today you know if they were to do this it would totally outright you're right they totally outrage people but it may actually in you know knock off that one or two percentage points that they need right if you if we're reading if this vote if if this poll is good and we're reading it properly, right, it's yeah. closer than Battle's analysis from last month suggests. Yeah. So if we were to assume that half of the people who said that they might vote and that fifty four percent remained static, that would bring it up to twenty nine percent. And then if you've got hmm. uh, some of the people who didn't give a clear answer, some of them show up, maybe you're at thirty percent, maybe just over. Well, we'll see. And I think uh, the uh, one takeaway from this should be that the a lot of people criticize this vote threshold as being too low. Hmm. you know, uh, and I think it shows that the the legislation that set this up and the decisions and the policies all were actually, seem to be quite good. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult for them to get the kind of turnout they need to make this uh, count. And that's why Huang Guochang was not thrown out. They didn't get enough yes votes to pass the 25% threshold. Exactly. So it's al- it's already been tested in before. And so it'll be tested again here, mm-hmm. which, will be, which will be good. It will show that the law was wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So what else was going on in the KMT besides this recall? Johnny Chung had a few remarks about the party's... Uh, competence in opposition. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I got some quotes here. He said that the 
he, uh, he goes, okay, here we are. I'll just read this here. Some, um, so he said this party is still learning how to be an opposition party, quote, an unfamiliar role for an organization that has spent most of the past 70 years in a position of power in Taiwan. He continued saying the 126 year old party was once Taiwan's only party, not technically true, but they controlled the other party. So effectively, yeah. And has gov governed the country for a long period of time. It was not until 2016 that the party found itself completely in opposition, having lost the presidential election and not being in the majority in the legislature. That what the KMT quickly learned is, quote, we are definitely not good at being an opposition party, Chang admitted. And then it goes on. As a younger generation KMT member, the Taichung native admitted that the party was carrying, quote, too much of a burden because of its culture compared with younger political parties, making it challenging for the KMT to launch comprehensive reforms. Quote, but this does not mean we are not capable of reforms, he said, adding that pushing through reforms will be his main focus. Pushing through reforms. Gee, did he mention any specific reforms? Well, I mean, he's actually been pretty clear all along what the reforms that he wants to push are. Right. Um, and they they make sense, you know. Um, but here's the big question. You know, he wants to appeal to younger voters, move the party closer to the center on cross-strait relations, you know, work on the finances, you know, all those kinds of things, which all make sense. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's already backing down on some of the things he was talking about before. Oh, like what? You know, he was talking. What does he back down on? The 92C, right. 92 yeah. consensus. He said, he, you know, they're going to consider moving away from it. But he seemed to come out the other day in support of it. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about this last week. We talked about this a couple of times, and I think everyone is expecting that they'll come out with another version of the 1992 consensus. Yeah. Or just keep it. You know, it's, yeah. we don't know. So uh, my big question, and I don't, I don't know what you think of this, but, uh, you know, he's not from the elites. He's a local Taiwanese red faction politician from Taichung. He's about as far away from the elites as he could get. Right. And he's brought in as a caretaker by election chairman. And so, you know, I, 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 I mean, he, you know, they'll, they'll let him go with the whole new, you know, flashy online marketing stuff. I mean, he'll get away with doing that. Sure. But is that, will they actually allow him to implement much more than that? That's the big question. I doubt it. I mean, wouldn't you want to wait until you got the next four year chairman? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's how I see that. Uh, I mean, they'll just stall everything in committee and then next time around we get to see who runs for chairman. That's going to be a fun election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, uh, you know, that will be gearing up towards the 2022 local elections. But, uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine who had talked to some, uh, who said the DPP that Ty is already uh, setting up the DPP for this, putting her people in positions and uh, and in anticipation of this election and in the new? What do you think of the new uh, cabinet that she appointed? It, it's pretty similar. Um, I mean, nothing really jumps out at me. Yeah, that's the way I saw it too. But I did notice something. Speaking of the twenty twenty two elections, mm -hmm. have you noticed? Um, that it, none of this is really the only the Taipei one has made the newspapers, but there's been a lot of reports I've noticed in the in the Mandarin language media 
talking about because they're they're right now uh, electing party heads for you know each of the areas. In other words, the you know the Taichung party head and the Zhanghua party head and Tainan, you know, for the DPP. And it's brutal. I don't know if you've seen all these reports. The Taipei one made the made the um, made the English language press, and they fi- they decided to push it back after the election. But I've seen reports that Tainan, Kaohsiung, Nanto's turned really nasty. The candidates are suing each other. Uh, Zhanghua, Taichung looks like it's that was stable. That was a stable mm-hmm. one. Wait, but for which party? Who's, whose candidates are in the DPP? Yeah, yeah, to run the local DPP in the, you know in these geographical areas. And there's been a lot of, I mean, really nasty and vicious infighting in the in the DPP. When isn't there? <laughs> Good point. I mean, when is the DPP ever? Remember the last election when they only managed to patch things up from Ping Dong at the last minute, right? There was oh, going to yeah. be someone. Yeah. I mean, that, that stuff always happens. But in the end, it will all sort itself out. We, it's two years till that election. So. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it definitely shows, I mean, there's a lot of the power. The political party has a lot of power now. So I think that's why there's so much, you know, vigorous competition. Right. Because people expected, I think, to get even more. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about the, you were telling me the, uh, the which was it, the irrigation associations? The DPP wants to, or the farmers associations, yeah. which ones? The DPP well, the- wants to put. DPP appoint government appointed officials on the boards. Yes, it would bring them under control. The irrigation associations have already been nationalized. Um, That's right. Yeah, but the the DPP has put, it's gone through uh, a first reading. Now it needs to go now, so it's in committee. Right. If the DPP gets behind this, that means that they'll they'll pack out the the boards on the farmers and fishing associations with one third of the board would be government appointees. Those and they are going combine to be... that with something yeah. that they passed in the law a few weeks ago, and it's already law, that they can do essentially flash audits at any time because now they've given the ability to, they've cleared the way for farmers associations to be able to, to handle you know social welfare funding. Right. So that means that the books can be, audited at any time basically in any place and then they want to put up to a third of the board so you know i think you 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 can explain what that means well i (laughs) I actually i wasn't going to remark on that i was just going to say that's going to be the kind of thing that dpp local politicians are going to fight over because those positions have historically been very lucrative Mm -hmm. for the for the cronies of the people at the top of those associations yeah. Um, but so they they're going to be mostly from, lean KMT. There are definitely some DPP controlled ones. Right. But, but that's a good way to get your local faction people. <laughs> yeah, <to> yeah. DPP. <laughs> I was going to say that's a way that you get your local faction people rewards. You stick yeah. them on these committees. Mm-hmm. So that's a, yet another way that the DPP is going to try and turn the local factions, which historically have always been uh, pro KMT mm-hmm. or NPSU. <laughs> And we were also talking today, speaking of the 2022 election and the 2024 election, of new Taipei city mayor Ho Yoi, mm-hmm. the Taiwanese and former head of the of the national police uh, 
<clears throat> agency who is the one probably the most popular politician in Taiwan, except for Tsai herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were telling me about how who was going to the inauguration and who wasn't. Yeah, I, I thought this was very interesting. Uh, Ma Ying-jeou, a former president, decided to can it, which is a pretty strong statement. Johnny Chang, the KMT chair. Um, uh, Han Guoyu said, I'm not going. But Ho Yui said something along the lines of basically, this is an important national event. This is a, an important event for the nation. And it's important, you know, to come together and unify. And so he was really positive, enthusiastic about attending. Taichung's Lu Xiuyan did show, but she was kind of like, I was like, well, after cons- careful consideration, I decided it was important to represent the 2.81 million Taichung people. So she, she kind of went, but she was not very enthusiastic. But Ho Yui was, you know, he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to go. Sign me up, you know. And then you said, was it you who noticed that he'd taken pictures? Then the pictures had been posted to Lin Jialong's feed on Twitter? No, he gave, well, what happened was he posed in a picture uh-huh. with Lu Xiuyan, uh, the DPP Taoyuan mayor, Zheng Wenzhan, uh-huh. He Wenzhe, and somebody else whose name is I'm forgetting right now. Um, and, you know, he's looking all happy in the picture. And, and then he posts the picture up onto his Instagram. Well, the photo credit, in other words, who took the photo, was Dragon for People. And Dragon for People is an Instagram handle for Lin Jialong. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. So it was Lin Jialong was taking the picture for them. Well, like you said, Ho is very good at keeping his lines open and, and feeding and watering his networks to the other party so he can get resources for his city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I think that's that's exactly right. Yeah, and we've been speculating if he ever wants to switch parties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the only negative I can think of from his perspective for switching parties is the fact that basically, if he were to run for president in the KMT, he would pretty much be the de facto candidate. Whereas, if he were to switch to the DPP, you know, I think it would be a little bit more of a fight with against somebody like, say, William Lai. But he might still be able to win it. But it's a more powerful political party right now. So I think he'll have to wait the KMT's decline versus the increased competition within the DPP if he's considering it, which we don't know. That's probably the only factor that's keeping him from doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Quite possible, yeah. For for our listeners, a little bit of background. uh, he, uh, Hoyui was originally courted by the DPP, uh, but he eventually signed up with the KMT under Eric Chu, if memory serves, as a deputy mayor. So, yeah. but there's, he, he doesn't really, he, he's not, he doesn't come out with really very much in the way of political statements. He's just practical. No. Yeah. He wants to look practical. Mm-hmm. He's not very ideological. He doesn't come across that way at all, no. In fact, he's actually done things to distance himself from ideology. Yeah. And looking at uh, Wikipedia, he was born on June 7th, which is the day after Han's recall. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sure he'll be grinning all day if Han loses. <laughs> yeah, he made it pretty clear during the presidential election he did not like Han. So he's born in nineteen fifty seven. He's sixty three this year. He'll be sixty seven in twenty twenty four. So he won't be too old to run. Yep. And he seems like a pretty vigorous guy. Yeah, not known for doing stupid things like getting drunk and staying out all night. <laughs> like some other mayors I could mention. <laughs> yeah, so, and he hasn't climbed up a tree either. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, uh, Tsaing, Tsaing Wen had her second inauguration as president of the Republic of China. Mm-hmm. And I think that one's been discussed to death. Mm-hmm. on all of the uh on Twitter and everywhere else. But one thing that made us both laugh was Joseph U's vow. Joseph U oh, said after what? The inauguration? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can find that that quote. Uh he basically <laughs> said um let me see if I can find the exact quote because it's insane. Mm. He said he was being questioned in the legislature. And he said, "I will ensure that not one diplomatic ally will be lost, Wu said. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. That's possible. <laughs> well, the Solomons might come back, but, I mean, why would he say such a blanket statement? Because if, if the one is lost, he's basically given a giant cudgel to the KMT, and they'll beat him to death with it. Exactly. What he just, he just... Yeah, he could have said just yeah. like we'll do our best or some other platitude. You know, we yeah. we will ensure that we will do our absolute utmost best to make sure that not one diplomatic ally is lost. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. That's all that has to be done. So along with that, that same day, right? There's Tsai talking to about stable and and hoping for peace for peaceful relations and then that what the PLA released a video of them oh, invading I Taiwan. I see that actually. <laughs> yeah, that was on that that little bit of irony was on the uh, internet, and uh, and and then they dropped the uh, peaceful yeah, from reunification at, the, um, at their big um, their big annual do the the two sessions. So there'll be. So it's just reunification, but no peaceful. But what does that mean? Well, that, that's, that's interesting here. So, okay, so according to Reuters, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang left out the word peaceful on Friday in referring to Beijing's desire to, quote, reunify with Chinese-claimed Taiwan. Happily, finally, Reuters is putting quotation marks behind, behind, around reunify. Li said, we will encourage them to join us in opposing Taiwan independence and promoting China's reunification. With these efforts, we can surely create a beautiful future for the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. Reuters goes on and says, however, there was no mention of the word peaceful in front of reunification. Departing from the standard expression Chinese leaders have used for at least four decades when addressing parliament and mentioning Taiwan. Now, a senior Taiwan official told Reuters that the absence of Maybe. the word, word peaceful did not signal a fundamental change in China's approach toward the island. They are still talking about the concept of peaceful unification, just an indirect linguistic expression, said the person who is familiar with Taiwan's policy toward China, pointing to Li's remarks on cross-strait exchanges and economic integration. Quote, it's neutral. We do not look at it that way. Right. I don't know. Right. What do you think? 
well, I'm with this official. It's not that big a deal. If it becomes, if it's again and again it occurs, mm-hmm. then we have something to think about. But besides, I don't think anyone really believes that it's going to be peaceful. Long term, yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether this is significant or not, I mean, I, like I said the other day, I said, I don't know. Um, and, and I said basically the same thing as you said, you know, this is worth keeping an eye on. Because we do know that the state controlled media recently has been a lot more vocal about using military force. And when the, the Chinese, as I noted the other day, I said the Chinese Communist Party does things very much by the book using jingoistic party speak formulations. Right. When these formulations are changed, it is also often intended to signal a change. But oh. then again, but on the other <laughs> hand, they that uh, speech was apparently cut by about a third or half over their normal length. Oh, so, so they may have just. They, they wanted to keep it short right. because of the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2016, Tim and I wrote a piece in response to all the idiocy, idiotic claims that, uh, oh, now that Tsai Ing-wen has been elected president, China's certain to attack Taiwan. And we were like, no, now is not time to start worrying about Taiwan. But now I'm thinking we should follow up on that by saying, yeah, yeah, we need to start worrying about yeah. Taiwan. <laughs> I don't think they're quite ready yet. They're, no. you know, they don't have the, what do they call the se- the Type 75 uh, amphibious assault ships. They only have one out yet, but they're manufacturing them quickly. And those will be a big, big deal uh, on helping to invade. I, I actually had a long talk with Scott Ellinger about this. Oh, And he, cause I, I was curious cause it, it looked like these were a big deal, but I, I wanted to talk to a military guy who, you know, really knows his stuff. And yeah, he, he what he told me about them scared me. They're, they're a big game changer in a lot of ways. Essentially, the big thing is yeah. they, they, they're basically like mini aircraft carriers, and, and they also can carry tanks and stuff inside. But the, the key part that he was talking about was that it's, it's like a small aircraft carrier, but for helicopters. Yeah, it's a helicopter carrier that delivers troops. Right. Lovely. And so he's saying that like if you do an airdrop, for example, from an airplane, that's very dangerous. And if you try and land troops on the beach, that's extremely difficult and dangerous. He said with the helicopters, you can get in troops very quickly and they can, you know, dodge about and they're sort of much harder to stop. So interesting. Yeah. So he was saying that basically, you know, up to now they've had to do, they would have to either do an airdrop, which is risky and tough or, land people on the beach and then that's basically you know cannon fodder time right but with the the helicopters they can get people into key positions because they can keep them low to the ground so it's hard to use a missile on them because they just zip right by you i mean they can obviously be shot down but it's harder and if they've got enough of them and enough of these ships and enough of these helicopters they'll get people in far more safely and efficiently and with much much more precision than you can using any other method. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know. Well, China's been busy all along its frontier. We saw this week uh, news out of India, Mm -hmm. where China's putting pressure on India. Once again, salami salami slicing on the border. And then the Japanese said this week also that there had been, what was it, more incursions by by Navy ships than, uh, or 
uh, maybe it was Coast Guard, but it was government vessels into the Senkakus than mm -hmm. any previous year this year. So all along its frontier, China's although, messing with the neighboring countries. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I must admit that I kind of had to laugh at the confrontation on the border with India. <laughs> it was a fist fight. It was like a bench clearing brawl fist fight. That's good, but they've got, but they are way ahead of India and in building up critical infrastructure there. And if you're going to blood your troops, that's where you might want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rather it's just, than your yeah. first combat being against two major powers plus Taiwan. Yeah, but um, yeah, fist fight just seems like armed troops, and they're like, I ah, forget it. We'll just throw down our arms and we'll <laughs> have just at each punch other. Each other in Let's the see face. how their martial arts are. <laughs> <laughs> That's very human oh, in a way, right? God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, at least there was a little humor to be gotten yeah. out of that. Well, I think the last thing on our agenda today was the TSMC fab that's supposed to be built in Arizona. Mm -hmm. the, and everyone's asking the same question. Is it really going to happen? Yeah. I think it will, but I, I saw an article which suggested it won't. I've seen, you know, I've seen dozens of those articles. It's hard to say. And there's practical considerations mm -hmm. like water. I mean, it's Arizona. Yeah. So. Yeah, that seemed a little odd. They need a lot of water. It's going to be very bad for Taiwan, though, if following on the heels of Foxconn's, um, well, we can't really call it a failure. What would you call it? Well, Foxconn's. There, there's actually signs of life on that project. Yeah, there are some signs of life, but it's not going to be an enormous project of billions of dollars. Well, they, they actually just came out with a report the other day. They started to really actually start getting some specifics and some dates, which, so it looked like they're, they're actually starting to finally ramp that up. Um, now, they've said that before, so we don't know. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that now that the U.S. is so focused on decoupling important supply chains from China, that Foxconn may view this as a way of keeping themselves on the good side of the U.S. supply chain issue. Okay. Well, maybe it'll pan out. Let's hope they both pan out. That will help Taiwan's profile in the United States. And if they don't, that will hurt Taiwan's profile. Yeah. I, I think that the, the reason I think the TSMC thing is going to go forward is because I think the U.S. government is dead serious about yeah, yeah. making sure that, you know, because... Now, they're, they're not going to build their latest generation chips there. They've already made that clear. It'll be a generation or two behind. But I'm pretty sure that in the U.S. government's mind, they do realize that if there was a war over Taiwan, chips would become a huge issue or generalized war in East Asia. Because, of course, yeah, they, the, the flow of chips would stop. Yeah, because so many of them come out of the top. The top ones come out of Intel. But and also and TSMC and Samsung, those are the top three countries. The biggest one is TSMC. Now, if you go yeah. back a couple of generations, you know, the, some of the older chips, older generation chips that are they're kind of behind the curve, a bunch of those come out of China. So those are the cheap kind of crappy ones. But so if there's a war in East Asia, you know, you'd have the supply would dry up out of you know, all those countries, and that would pretty much just leave Intel, and there's no way they could keep up, keep up with all the demand on their own. And even then, even if Samsung were to somehow ramp up production, shipping costs would skyrocket mm -hmm. because they'd yes. have to transit a war zone. Exactly. And you can imagine how China might 
exploit that fact. Yeah, if they're not dragged into the war outright, which is entirely possible. Well, I think we've reached our stopping point, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> on that cheerful, we note... need a joke quick. <laughs> Well, you know, if if there's going to be a big, big pan-Asia war, hopefully, hopefully (laughs) it will be entirely based on fistfights. I hope not, because there's a lot more of them than us. (laughs) Unless we can somehow get the Indians involved. (laughs) It'll be better than a nuclear war, I suppose. All right, folks, you have a good week. See you again next week. Bye-bye. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw.